Welcome to the FTF Exchange Podcast. This is Maureen Lowe, founder and president of FTF. In this podcast series, we speak with industry professionals from leading financial and technology firms in capital markets. We will discuss an array of topics from current events to the latest fintech updates to human interest stories from time to time. Through these discussions, we strive to foster thought leadership and information sharing, and we certainly welcome comments and feedback for future episodes. Hello, everyone. Today, we are talking to Tanya CJ, who is the CEO and founder of Arenda Software Solutions, a six company that is based in Member 2, Nova Scotia. For this uh, FTF Exchange podcast, we're going to focus on how Arenda got its start, what the environmental, social, and governance, or ESG, non-financial factors really mean, and how ESG reporting and compliance are impacting financial services firms worldwide. So hello, Tanya. Uh, first, could you tell us a little bit about how Arenda got its start? Hi, Eugene. Yes, I can tell you a little bit about Arenda. I'll start with my background um, very quickly. I was a journalist for many years, focused on health and environment, with um, also a focus on Indigenous affairs. Uh, then was part of a large uh, environmental remediation project that was in the middle of a city uh, known as Sydney, Nova Scotia that was owned by the government of Canada and the province of Nova Scotia. I uh, also did some time with the Carbon Capture Stories and Research Group before starting um, Aranda in 2015. The background about Aranda and what we started as a technology and, and a focus for the technology was that we want to pull in uh, social media data exclusively um, so that we could understand how uh, different corporations, companies, uh, project proponents, how they were impacting the communities uh, where they were doing business. So we focused on social media as a, as a point because it is so easily accessible and so high speed. So our technology pulls in social media data, puts it into an environmental and social and governance uh, metric. Interesting. And as you're a journalist, I'll just apologize now. Anyways, for my, for my work. But why is it essential for companies to calculate their alignment with society's values and, and the ESG goals? I would say that there's a couple of reasons, but the biggest reason is that ESG and, its, and the purpose behind it is too big to fail. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about what framework is best, um, how, do, how do we align it. But I think the most overarching and important aspect about ESG is that we treat people better, um, we're kinder to the planet, and we share in prosperity. And so that is the reason why it's essential that we start to figuring this out as a society and start moving it forward in a more transparent way. And as I was digging into the uh, history of your company, I was wondering about the name of the company. Does it have a particular significance? Yes. So Arenda itself is on its own. It's just, a, I think it's a beautiful word. It's from Iroquois. And what it means is that there's this power within all of us to have an impact on the world around us in a positive way. And so that spiritual part of it is definitely linked to ESG. Now you're in a new chapter. You're a part of uh, six. What is that like? We're part of the six family, which has been um, seen by our team as a tremendous accomplishment. 
Um, as you know, we are a small company out of, out of Canada. So connecting with the global uh, entity that is SIX is an important one for us because we get to do a lot more of the things that we love. Uh, so we have access to their sales team or their marketing team, which, which are, of course, all brilliant, plus have a global presence. So just in the last couple of weeks, I was able to meet people in London um, and then again in Amsterdam and now in, in Zurich and being able to see ESG and the issues and how it's evolving um, in those different parts of the world are just, um, it's a gift. Okay. So uh, what is ESG really and why is it taken off so fast? ESG, um, it's interesting. I was reading a couple of articles and they said, you know, one of the things that struck me was ESG is not a hippie thing. It's a survival thing. That really struck me because a lot of people think that ESG, uh, you know, is just sorting your garbage properly. And it's not. It's so much more than that. There's some really important environmental issues that are happening around the world. Some people are dealing with drought. Other people are dealing with flooding. And, it's, and then you have all the social aspects. I mean, in the U.S., we definitely saw the outcome with Black Lives Matter, one of the most socially talked about issues in, in social media in 2020, and then also the pandemic. So, yeah, um, it's taken off because we've reached a crucial point, and now there has been a significant shift in financial thinking, um, and being a part of that is important for, like I said, people, planet, and, and prosperity. Uh, but it's also important that we we put our money behind companies that are moving in the right direction. So how should firms, uh, financial services firms, approach this phenomenon? Uh, so one of the things that has struck us, we just did a use case with Boohoo over the last year where we saw the outrage of them um, using modern day slavery within their factories. Um, it was a discussion that was taking place on, on social media very strongly uh, for a couple of months before it reached mainstream media. Um, we were able to see that within our ESG scoring for Boohoo. Uh, and then one of the traditional rating companies came out and gave it a positive rating because um, they weren't familiar with, with what this was in the background. So one of the things that I think is really important and what has changed is that millennials will not invest in companies, even if that company makes them money, um, if they are unethical. And that means that currently, potentially, um, some of the older money may be in companies that they shouldn't be, but there's going to be a tipping point where all of the new money from that generation goes solely only into companies that are behaving well from an ESG perspective. And then that shift of, of money means that those companies will start to give higher returns because they're better supported by investments. And of course, behind the scenes, uh, from an operations standpoint, if there is this shift, uh, that, that, that there'll be a bit of an overhaul in, in uh, sort of the market data flow and uh, securities operations and everything will shift. Uh, so uh, down the line, so there'll be some big changes coming there. Mm -hmm. Are there emerging ESG benchmarks? Do they exist uh, or are they on the way? I think that there's a lot of um, ESG benchmarks, frameworks, et cetera, that are happening. And that makes a lot of sense because there's a whole bunch of other issues that are happening. There's, uh, you know, geographically, we're in different areas. That means that we have different priorities as a society. We have different governments. Um, we have different 
uh, things happening. Like I said, some some companies countries will be dealing with drought, other countries will be dealing with flooding. So all the frameworks are, are starting to shift. But I think the one that is overarching and the one that people feel the most connected to, at least in, in my opinion, in my experience, is the sustainable development goals. So for that, I think that is a really important framework that is universal. Um, it captures all the things that are important to, to uh, society as a whole. Uh, and then from that, um, from the sustainable development goals, you can get more fine-tuned into the different regulatory frameworks that exist based on the geography where they are. And we know that uh, the regulators are looking at this and perhaps even thinking about some guidelines, some changes, and uh, or codifying some of this. How close are first-mover firms to developing best practices? Uh, I would say that what I see is a trend towards building out customized benchmarks. And again, that kind of follows through with what I just said, is that the priorities and the values of certain individuals or certain investment groups uh, can get very specific. So it allows them that uh, to be more dynamic. The other thing that I see is that all of the different frameworks um, trying to understand them all and try to bring them in, especially if you're an international investor, so you're investing in different parts of the world and trying to understand each and, each and every framework and have it you know, working well within your financial modeling just gets too complex. So what I do see is, is a customization that is starting to emerge. Okay. And, and I think you did want to say something about the regulators. What I I would say is that for in most cases, whenever there's something of concern, say if it's climate change or if it's um, a social issue or a governance issue, what we do is we talk about it amongst ourselves. Um, and when it doesn't feel like we can resolve it amongst each other, then we bring it to social media or, or, or media. Um, if it doesn't get resolved there, uh, then it goes to our government representatives uh, where we discuss it with them and you try to move things forward with them. Um, and then it eventually lands on the regulator's door. And if the regulator isn't able to bring in legislation or regulations that are able to move the, the issue forward, then we get social uprising. So I think that is an important um, piece of what is going to be happening with ESG. At some point, we, we're all, it's always going to land on the regulator's doorstep. And we need to pay attention to what is happening before that. For financial services firms that are that are coming to grips with uh, ESG and are embracing it, what are some of the new realities behind the scenes? And I'm thinking of operations and market data and reference data and so forth. What are some of the new realities for them? I think one of the, the new realities is that um, I think even when, when the financial market got underway, the traditional data sets were extremely accessible and that they were able to use them in many, many different ways. Uh, now they have um, access to a number of different alternative data sets that can bring them value in a different way. But being able to um, have the confidence and the trust uh, that they have um, over time, that they've built over time with, with the traditional financial data is something that um, I guess is what I would like to see a more embracing of alternative data sets so they can complete the pictures when it comes to ESG. Mm -hmm. And ESG does, um, as we're seeing, it's it's going to be causing some changes, right? Firms will have to change how they do things and then clients will have to change. Mm -hmm. um, so where do you see the ESG movement heading? What I believe is that ESG is hard. Um, and what I mean by that is that, like you said, uh, within organizations, 
Uh, it typically means a shift in culture. It means that uh, the bigger companies, they have to convince shareholders and different stakeholders that what they need to do is, is not necessarily the traditional way. And it has to be a broader embracement of environmental, social and governance issues that they may not feel quite comfortable with. So that is going to take time. Uh, I think that's why you see some of the issues with greenwashing today is because they don't want to signal that they are not socially aligned, um, but they are struggling behind the scenes in terms of what they are able to do and how quickly they are able to do it. So the other part is that um, it brings some fear and doubt into the money masters because they're getting access to data is not necessarily um, true or at least uh, not um, as it, it doesn't provide enough narrative. So they start to um, doubt the effectiveness of ESG. And that's where I'd like to see some understanding, some more transparency, some more honest discussions about ESG, because ESG is a journey. It's not something that you can do overnight. Right. It's not simply an upgrade or a new deployment or a new installation. People do have to stop and consider and perhaps make some really profound changes. Mm -hmm. So in the past, you and I have discussed how there's been a big focus on the environmental aspects of ESG. But uh, what does it mean now for firms that want to embrace the social aspects of ESG? Firms in terms of an investment or a corporation itself. So if we look at it from a corporation itself, it means um, expanding beyond um, what is, you know, it, I, I, I understand that a lot of companies, they're focused on uh, gender diversity and they see that as the so social element of their organization. Um, they have to move much further than that. You get into uh, making sure that your vendors don't have child labor as part of their manufacturing. It gets much more difficult the further you get away from the boardroom table. So that social element um, it means that you have to have some very serious, difficult uh, conversations with your vendors, Make sure, making sure that you're not uh, inadvertently bringing in and supporting a, a cause that is, goes against what you claim as an ESG company. Mm -hmm. And then perhaps perhaps the, the truth is that in the past, firms, financial services firms and everyone else maybe have been looking the other way when it comes to that aspect of, of what a, a major vendor has been doing. Yeah. It feels like that that can't happen anymore. If they are aware of it, they have to take action. Yeah, I, I completely agree with Eugene that um, they, that time has passed. And now you have a millennial generation, which is completely digitally empowered, who will not in, you know, invest in unethical companies. And you will be connected to that very quickly because they can out you very quickly on social media. And they have a huge um, community of very like-minded individuals, and it can be very harmful to your organization or your corporation in a really short period of time. We've mm -hmm. seen it every day. So among your customers, what, what changes are they making internally to, to incorporate ESG, to, to make it real for themselves? Have they given you feedback on some of the changes they're making? So we go at it from a data perspective. So what we do see is that they, are, um, they express a need for more transparency or truth and transparency within their data set. Um, so that means that uh, they want to make sure that they minimize the risk in the investments that they are planning to take. 
to me, that makes a lot of sense that they want to be able to bring in as much data to complete the picture as possible. And if that means just company disclosures, that's one thing. But they, if they have the understanding that they need to go far outside of that and start looking at it for, in a more democratic way, um, including social media data, then that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. And what determines the pace of ESG change for, uh, in this case, financial services firms? One of the things I think is interesting is that um, I look at where the ESG team is located within the organization. If it's a direct report or part of the C-suite, then I know that the company is taking it quite seriously and they have expanded their team beyond one. I think that's the most telling uh, right now. Okay. And then sort of looping back to to the data issue, um, because this is such a new area, it will require new kinds of data and and new ways of analyzing the data. And, mm-hmm. and there there is the transparency issue, but um, I, I assume that there's probably an aspect of analysis that, that, there, that through analysis, maybe you could see more. Maybe you could find out, oh, you know, they really are. There's, they're doing something very fishy here. Um, yeah, I think I think that that's what you see. So some rating companies and uh, customers have expressed this, that one rating company comes out with a particular rating and then the next company comes out and there's um, there's a conflict between the two ratings that so they have to bring it to their investor and leave it up to their investor to decide what is the best investment for them based on the rating as it's provided, especially when there's conflict. So being able to bring in more data points to be able to tell a different story, the ESG story of any particular company on any particular day, because we all know that it changes every day. Um, being able to demonstrate that and report that to their to their customers is just a more responsible way of being able to have that conversation to make sure and validate um, and verify that where their money is headed is headed in a, in a company or toward a project that is is important to them and aligned, definitely aligned with their values. Okay, great. I'm really glad we had a chance to speak today. Thank you very much, Tanya. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the FTF Exchange podcast. If you would like a turn in the hot seat, reach out to us at info at ftfnews.com and let us know what capital markets topics you'd like to discuss. Also, be sure to sign up to receive our email alert so you don't miss out on listening to future episodes. Just visit ftfnews.com and click the sign up link at the top of the page. Thanks again for listening to the FTF Exchange Podcast.